my health nutritionist brain was like, no. And my body was like, yes, all we want is salt, protein and sugar, please. Really easy to access. You need to listen to us now because we know what we're doing. And that was my first introduction into intuitive eating. I'm Sarah Tobin. I welcome to the Tapping Into podcast, the place to explore a whole host of different natural, alternative and spiritual ways to change your life. My goal is to support you on your healing journey, whether you're planning to become a mother or already have children. Motherhood can often leave us feeling like we don't know who we are anymore. And this is the space to explore how rock bottoms and different modalities can often lead to the greatest joys. So get ready to come on a journey with me and enjoy. Welcome to episode two of season three. Today, I'm introducing you to Lizzie Delaney. She is a health coach who specializes in intuitive and emotional eating. She is passionate about helping women who have been yo-yo dieting for years or who struggle with emotional eating heal their relationship with food. In this episode, Lizzie gracefully and compassionately describes her journey from volatile childhood and how it resulted in an eating disorder, both anorexia and binge eating, through to her role as a coach now. Her teenage years were filled with OCD, restriction and self-sabotage, all in a bid to be loved. She recovered from her eating disorder and rebuilt her self-worth from scratch. Absolute rock bottom. We explore her self-sabotage behaviour and hypothesise how it could actually be linked to ancestral trauma. And she shared something too that honestly gave me full body goosebumps. And again, when I re-listened to the episode. Learn about her journey to intuitive eating and how she supports those identifying as women with this new way of listening to our bodies. Lizzie is incredibly inspirational and passionate and you won't regret listening to her. Lizzie, welcome to the Tapping Into podcast. I am so grateful for you being here today. I'm so glad to be here myself. It's just so nice to be able to talk to you and have this conversation. I'm really excited. Oh, good. Do you know, I started to follow you because of Jess from Hot Cross Moms, and she is just a massive advocate for you, which is awesome and incredible. But there's obviously a good reason for that. And I know a personal backstory for you is how you got to be an intuitive eating coach. And for me, that was something I'd never heard of and still don't know a lot about on purpose. I want you to to bring me on that journey. But I suppose a lot of people listening to won't have heard that term. And we can talk a bit later about your kind of yeah breaking through the noise with this offering. But mm-hmm. let's start with you and how you got to this place yeah it's quite a long story and starts kind of way back I started with having an eating disorder at the age of 11 and this is something that's coming up for a lot of clients of mine is that their childhood has been quite volatile or there's been elements of just growing up in the 90s that kind of lack of kind of emotional intelligence around children's emotions and how they can bring trauma into their life that kind of like nature nurture situation and the fact that parents have felt this really like strong sense that it's just them just the way that they parent their children and that 
and that children can be very, and they can misbehave and all of that kind of stuff. And that's what kind of child I was. I had tantrums. I was very aggressive. I was a lot. I talked a lot. And I felt like I was probably very difficult for my parents to deal with. And so I think that really brought about our kind of the household that I grew up in was quite I don't want to say volatile, but there was a lot of arguing that it was a lot of me being sent to my room for my tantrums, my explosive behavior, my the behavior that made my parents and people who were visiting or whatever made them feel uncomfortable. So I suppose and this has honestly come up with so many of my clients when I speak about like my experiences in childhood, they're like, oh, my God, that was so me. You know, my parents really couldn't deal with me or I was always having tantrums or my emotions weren't valid. I was always encouraged to kind of push them down. And we weren't taught to be comfortable with our emotions or anything like that. So as I got to kind of being a bit more independent around the age of 11, I really started to get this strong. And I'd always had this strong sense of self-sabotage with my emotions. I always wanted to make things worse for myself. Like I can always remember that. I just wanted to make things much more difficult and almost feel a stronger sense of pain, a stronger sense of discomfort. And this absolutely fed into my eating disorder. I have a very strong memory of sitting in my school hall thinking, how can I make my parents, and this is going to make me sound awful, but how can I make my parents give me attention? Like what is going to be the thing that gives me some positive attention? And I can remember sitting there thinking I could like, get pregnant or I could do this or I could do that and then this this light bulb came into my head that I could just like not eat like that really it really came quite strongly into my mindset and at that point I really did start to restrict myself and ended up developing it kind of snowballed and I just developed an eating disorder and then literally for my entire teenage years was just on a really up and down roller coaster with my eating you know I would literally like sway between bulimia to very restrictive eating patterns I would go months and months with very restrictive eating patterns and then I would fall back into bulimia and I literally just tossed between the two from when I was 11 to well like when I was 19 and when I was 16 I did actually go through the eating disorder service I went through I got all of the got six months worth of um psychotherapy and you know I just it just didn't click for me I just wasn't in the right place to move forward I wasn't ready to let this what had become a comfort blanket go it was the only thing I felt like I could really trust and that might sound really strange to people but I knew what I was doing I knew the way that my emotions felt and I felt very much able to navigate my emotions by using food to help me through that situation. So I suppose it's what I'm hearing is your need to control the yeah. the outcome and the love and attention that you wanted mm-hmm. through restricting yourself in a, in a way in a bid to get attention but obviously as well like you said there must have been a benefit in terms of not feeling those emotions did you numb and suppress further and keep I suppose you're keeping your attention away from how you're feeling and more on I can't eat and do this and that or the other so it's possibly even like an OCD level of of attention diversion yes does that make sense absolutely absolutely and I definitely 
had OCD tendencies in childhood um, and have noticed them throughout my adult life and have been working on them. But yes, it was always very much a diversion of from feeling what I was feeling because I felt emotion. I just remember feeling such intense emotions all the way through my life. It was always such a big part of who I was. I can remember being extremely depressed when I was in probably like 16, 17. And I would just spend a lot of time in bed asleep. I just wanted to sleep. And I also, you know, I might, I literally, when I was a teenager, I would drink a lot. I slept around a lot. And it was all just a bid for, for love, for attention, for validation, but equally for that numbing experience of those experiences. It was trying to feel something else, you know, feeling hunger is very visceral, you know, binging is very visceral, sleeping with somebody is very visceral, you know, you're feeling everything, it's very physical, you're feeling that feeling, and it it really did heavily distract from the emotions that I was feeling about myself, I didn't have any sense of self-worth at all, Yeah, like nothing whatsoever. Very, very difficult to navigate. Yes, it was. I presume you felt very alone in that, like it's very an internal experience isn't it yeah it was it was a very lonely time especially to see my friends who were teenagers who had a much more kind of like normal like level care relationship with not yeah carefree mm. not only relationship with food but relationship with their parents relationship with themselves they weren't going out and like sleeping with everyone and drinking loads and they were just more kind of normal and I hate to use that word but yeah you know and I didn't feel that sense of connection in that way to their lives and I think they just saw me as a bit a bit out there a bit wild and a bit of a victim as well I suppose and it wasn't until I was 19 when I and this is a really telling situation that I met my first boyfriend like my first actual love you know Mm. and I was only with him for 10 months but it felt very intense and it was obviously because I was like receiving so much validation, so much love from somebody else. And I felt this like clawing on feeling of having to kind of keep really tight hold of that, that love, that relationship. And when it broke down, I just went, I just completely, you know, went down a big landslide essentially at that point. And that's when it got to a stage where it was undeniable at that point for anybody around me anymore to not see how unwell I was because I was very, very visibly unwell because I lost so much weight in such a very short period of time. How were you functioning in terms of finishing school and going on to, you know, into either workforce or education or how are you progressing? Like at 19, you're kind of moving into that stage where you're becoming independent yeah. So that must have been very difficult. It was very difficult. And it definitely, the whole experience that I had around my eating disorder, definitely, and just the way that I was, like my emotions and my sense of support, it all affected kind of my feeling of success and feeling like I was doing well in, and that's something I've had to do a lot of work on now because I did my GCSEs. I didn't try hard until the last minute because I was just so focused on other things I was always always self-sabotaging in any possible way that I could I would self-sabotage so I wouldn't revise until the last minute and things like that and then I went into sixth form 
and had, you know, to do my A-levels and had a really strong bout of restrictive eating and anorexic behaviors in that first year of my sixth form, which obviously took me a lot away from my studies. And I would just leave school. If I then went into like a binge cycle, I would just literally get a binge urge and leave school. I would just walk out the front door with no no worries or questions of the repercussions, whether that be somebody getting in trouble or, you know, not getting my education. I would just leave because I had bigger things to do and I couldn't deny this binge urge. So I would just leave. So that was big. And then I left sixth form after my first year because I was just like, I just want to be a dancer. I'm going to just go and dance. And against like my parents kind of advice, I was just like, no, I'm going to dance college, went to dance college and then ended up having my really, really bad bout of it was horrific that I would discuss weight because it is so triggering for a lot of people. But I was very, very unwell. And obviously that had a big effect on me dancing because obviously I had no energy to dance and all of that kind of stuff was really impactful. And then I went off to university and I went to Leeds University. And I feel like the universe definitely had something at play there for me because when I arrived, I was on my own in a halls of residence and had roommates who were not my people. Like they were very different from me. My anorexia was just left to go rife. Like it was, you know, I was just on my own. Nobody was telling me, you know, watching me or anything like that. So things just became much worse very, very quickly. But at the same time, this is where I say the universe was looking after me here because the course that I had gone to was a dance degree and I really wanted to actually dance. And this course only had two hours of dance classes a week. So I wasn't interested. I was like, get me home, uh, get me somewhere else. I'm going to apply for different universities next year. And I really felt, and so I went home. And at that point, my dad um, got me a private therapist and that's when things started to change. I was going to say, like through all of these years of of your your roller coaster, really mm-hmm. with with eating and your need for control, and then obviously in university there was no one there to give you any love or attention whatsoever. So that that strategy, I suppose it's it's a safety strategy, isn't it? That started quite young for you, is mm-hmm. to to go into this numbing, controlling addiction. I suppose. Would you yeah. agree with that addiction? Yeah, it was an addiction. It was an addiction to feeling feeling in control. So, and this might seem really odd to people who don't know that much about eating disorders because we always just hear that somebody was bulimic or we hear that they had binge eating disorder or we hear that they had anorexia. We don't hear about this like morphing of them between each other, mm. whether it was the anorexia and my insane levels of control and restrictiveness that was obviously a really sense of like tight control. And, you know, I had this like really physical feeling of hunger and that eventually went away because obviously you're not listening to your body. So your body doesn't play ball anymore. So, you know, you get this kind of emptiness feeling or whether it was the bulimia and that's a really intense feeling because you're getting such strong, you know, binge urges and all of that visceral, you know, experience with your body because of the purge inside of things. So, It was always very much like me trying to control my body and the way that it felt. And I definitely feel like that was a bit of an addiction, trying to keep keep tabs on the way that it was feeling and not let it 
do its thing because I was so scared of those sensations of lowness, emptiness, depression and pain that was coming with that. And I always just wanted, not consciously necessarily, there was this really strong driving feeling in me to make things worse. Like that was just always this like really strong physical feeling within me to just make things worse, to feel in a more intense because the pain would be more intense if I made it worse yeah that's such an interesting behavior isn't it Um, have you unpicked that the self-sabotage it's something I've been working on and I've got to do more work on because interestingly and it's not something that I do anymore so it's something that I've unpicked in the sense that I don't do it anymore but it's not something I've unpicked to be like what kind of like where did that come from Mm, because if I'm really if yeah the root of it if I'm really honest Sarah like I feel like that was with me from the very beginning Mm. I don't feel like that's come from the way that I was parented or anything like that and the only reason I know that now is because my eldest daughter does exactly the same Mm. so it's definitely come through it's and then I spoke actually spoke to my dad about it about two months ago and he said oh I do that so he Ah, does it I do it it's inherited. And um, so I've unpicked it for myself. Mm-hmm. I don't do it anymore. My husband really, when I first met Graham, Graham's Mr. Self-Development, he always has been. <laughs> and when I first met him, I, I felt so strongly that I'd done the work because I'd been through my therapist. I'd overcome my eating disorder, but still had really horrific relationship with myself, still had no sense of self-worth. Mm. And he, we would be out, shopping in town and we'd say oh we'll go for a coffee later once we finish and then we'd run out of time and he would be like oh we haven't got time to go for coffee now and I would have this catastrophic meltdown about that and then be just making this feeling more and more intense because and it was insane it was nuts and he was he really recognized this in me this pattern and so over the last 10 years we've really picked it apart and recognized it and I don't do it at all anymore like for the last maybe five years I don't do it at all but with Imogen coming she's done it very very much since she was very young as well yeah if you say oh we can't do that now she'll really say I don't want it or I don't want to eat I don't want to eat anything now and she just wants to make things obviously again it's not consciously it's the control it's making things worse and people listening might go oh well it's like mother like daughter but it's honestly it's not because mm. I do not exhibit any of those yeah. behaviors yeah. at all. Innate. Yeah. It's innate. It's absolutely innate in yeah. her. And so I am going to have to do a lot more work around it for both of us. Mm. It does sound definitely like ancestral trauma. And yeah. self sabotage for me is like, I've done something wrong. So I'm punishing myself for that. Yeah. And, you know, looking through the line with your father's side, it could be a grandfather or great grandfather or an uncle who did something wrong, literally did something wrong, and you're all atoning for it, you mm. know, and punishing yourselves for it. And it's energetics. You haven't consciously decided to no. self-sabotage. Your not daughter's not consciously doing it. Your dad didn't consciously do it. So there's definitely something, a, a cycle to break. Yeah, like that's so interesting, isn't it? I definitely think my dad's dad was in the Second World War from, yeah. and he was about 17 when he signed up. And it's something I actually talk a lot about with my clients around this, like the fact that because we, when we've, our generation has been raised, we've been raised by parents who were raised by 
war veterans and they were raised by war veterans and they were raised by Victorians. Like literally the PTSD coming through is insane. Like, and it was so unrecognized back then, Mm. you know, it was just seen as shell shock. And in reality, there would have been so much trauma there for all of them that wasn't addressed. And therefore, like, I mean, it could go further back, who knows, but yeah. You know, we I, I don't know, but it really is does warrant me and obviously doing the work for, for me and Imogen essentially. Yeah, it is a very worthwhile exercise because yeah. it breaks the cycle of that generational trauma. And they've seen yeah. with the Holocaust survivors that great grandchildren of the Holocaust survivors are more, way more prone to PTSD wow. um, and depression compared to their non-survivor family lines it's because there's it's epigenics there's a gene switched on that predisposes people to threats to safety and you know you've possibly been a sensitive child who were just was was unable to control how you feel unable to express unallowed to express because that was the generational parenting behavior at the time and, and and then it just spiraled into your need to control to suppress and numb and everything I can totally okay. understand how how that all came about yeah I was kind of was at, starting to ask you a question then I got sidetracked but it was around the the support that you were given and the 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 attention you did get to help get you through and break through from this mm-hmm. um, addiction out onto the other side so t- tell me about that so you tried psychotherapy at 16 so what was that yeah. like? What did that entail? So at 16, and when I talk about, if I talk about my parents in this kind of, in this way, I just want to kind of really stipulate that I really feel a really strong sense of self, like compassion for them because they were always just doing the best with their experience of their parenthood and of their parents and how they'd been raised and their experiences of love. And I have no sense of blame for them whatsoever. And I'm actually really grateful for every bit of, pain and experience that I've had so in terms of support I did go to the eating disorders association well the eating disorder service in Liverpool I actually sought that help on my own I went to the doctors on my own about 16 and asked for a referral and got that referral and then ended up interestingly enough for my first ever appointment with them seeing a woman called Jo And then after that session, saw a student psychotherapist for six months. And it was very much, I don't want to take away from the psychotherapy service in any way, shape or form, because this was obviously a long time ago now anyway, but it was very much like just tracking what I ate and they would weigh me every week. And it was very strange, like situation. And they were just very, it was very surface level, essentially. There wasn't any kind of deeper work there about how I fundamentally felt about myself, how I felt about expressing emotions. It was all just about the behaviors there, essentially. So I did that and I would literally just leave and go and binge afterwards, like because it just wasn't doing anything for me at that stage in my life. And then three years later, when I came home from university, my dad at that point really obviously realized that they were they weren't going to get on top of this that it wasn't going to just go away like I think they had probably hoped that I would just kind of grow out of it um I don't know how they felt about it I've never really had a conversation with them about it but he then sought a private therapist and the private therapist was Joe the woman I'd done my first ever session with and we just didn't know I know I literally have full body 
tingles. Yeah. yeah. You're kidding me. I know. I couldn't believe it. She'd gone private the day that I started. That was her last day in the eating disorder service. Oh my God. I know. <gasps> I know. Seriously, my mind is blown. The yeah. universe. Oh my God. It's just so, you were so meant to be with her. Oh, so meant to be with her. So meant to be with her. And also really feel that I was so meant to have those three extra years of the difficulty which sounds the rock crazy, bottom. but I really do feel like I needed that rock bottom. Mm-hmm. I feel like I needed to hit it. I feel like I needed to have that relationship and the breakdown of the relationship and then the really intense experience of, of that rock bottom to allow me to start to come back up from that. And yeah, Joe, as the second chair from the door said, I know you, I did your first session on your first day at the eating disorder. So she, she remembered me. She really helped me at that point to get to a a good place where I was no longer in danger to myself and yeah she was really supportive and I was able to move to Spain for four months at the end of my eight months of therapy with her it was intense I was doing two sessions a week for eight months yeah really intense but I needed that support at that time yeah but then after 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 that I still had so many issues around food you know I still continued to dip in and out of restrictive eating patterns for the next maybe three or four years until I met my husband and just had a really low sense of self-worth and really really bad body image and would always be trying to control the way that my body looked through over exercise through dieting you know I tried every diet on the books and would over exercise and wouldn't give myself a break and was just really hard on myself all the time and it was only through meeting my husband that I am where I am now. You know, he really allowed me to come that next level further. And have you got to a place where you, you feel emotions, you express emotions, you you know, going back to the early childhood where you weren't able to connect or be who you truly are. You were suppressed in, in ways. Are you your true self now? Are you, do you allow yourself to go there? Yes. I a hundred percent allow myself to go there now. And I'm very passionate about allowing myself to express the full capacity of emotions that comes through me, which I never was. And I think that definitely comes through that really strong sense of safety that I have, not just with Graham, with myself and with the fact that the expressing and feeling the emotions doesn't actually cause me any further harm. Whereas the behaviors that I used to engage in did cause me further harm. And so my body and my, you know, brain and everything has really learned that there is a safety and a benefit to me just feeling and expressing. And I feel like every time I go through really strong, intense emotions, that something just like levels up in (laughs) in me, if that makes sense. In the last year, I've had some really intense things happen to me. And in the past, I would have really tried to repress those emotions that came up, but I just like let them come through me, especially around my business. And because I felt like I've done so much work on myself, like so much work on myself over the last 10 to 14 years that you almost feel like, oh, I've done almost. And then, <laughs> and then something happens and you're yep. like, oh no, I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I, I have the same thing and I see it all the time. And I always say I will be healing and letting go on my deathbed. It's like, it's a never ending evolution. Like you said, this up leveling, 
It's exactly it. You're kind of shedding, you're changing behaviors, you're letting go and something else will come and test you to see like, do you really believe in yourself now or is there still some doubt? And here you go. Here's another opportunity to really test yourself. And then you're like, fuck, I've got to go through this again. Yeah, 100%. And so many people don't realize they're in the cycle of being tested, right? So they just have these experiences over and over and they don't make changes. They don't see it. And then all of a sudden something will happen to rock bottom them. And then they're like, oh, okay, I'm not supposed to do that or think like that or do that behavior or or be this person. I'm supposed to be myself. Okay, I get it now. And then they go on the journey and then they get another test. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, it's continual. But it's it's good. It's growth, isn't it? You feel like there's progress. And when you think of it like as a computer game level, when you reach that level and you go to the next level, then there's more bonuses, there's more opportunities, there's more energy, there's more clients, there's more fulfillment. You get to the top of that level and you've got to go to the next one. And it's, yeah, it's awesome, but it's hard and it can feel never ending. And I think everyone on this journey, I'm sure people will relate You just have to give yourself a break every now and then and just let the healing integrate. You know, we can't Mm. always be healing. We can't always be going to therapy or doing energy work or, you know, trying to reprogram your mind. You've got to let you've got to let things settle and then move forward at your own pace. A hundred percent. You absolutely have got to let things settle. And, you know, in the last few months, I had a really big thing happen with a very close friend and my nervous system reacted in a very volatile way. I was literally flawed because I've always been such a people pleaser. And I felt like I'd done so much work around people pleasing. But in reality, there was so much there around just wanting to make other people happy and to always thinking about their emotions and how they felt rather than feeling, well, what do you feel? Like what's important to you? How much damage are you doing to yourself by prioritizing the way that other people feel rather than the way that you feel? And this situation came to bulldoze me down and it floored me, like floored me. And I was literally on the floor like a sobbing toddler because it was so physical in my body. This I felt like I was crying the tears of my whole life. Like, yeah, yeah, my whole childhood life were coming through me. And Graham literally just had to sit with me and just allow me to go through that. And really feel it and I spent a lot of time in the bath and just like being in my body and sobbing and just allowing it to all come through me and after that experience I I, I took a big break from social media I really allowed it to integrate and to just let it let me heal and let me sit with it and let me feel it and the the waves that that would come in you know I would feel it really intensely and then I'd feel a bit better and then I'd feel it again I just kind of really let it come and go for probably like 10 days two weeks And after that period, I felt so different, like just generally around doing podcasts, doing masterclasses for people and speaking to clients and being able to leave people's messages in my inbox for two days because I'm dealing with life, not feeling like, oh, my God, I need to get into I need to do this for that person. I need to do that for that person. I'm just so much more relaxed. (laughs) And I know that it'll come for me again in some other shape or form. That's amazing, though. But it's just been an incredible experience for me and a real gift from the universe. Absolutely. And well done for taking the time to allow yourself to do that and seeing it as a gift and as an opportunity because it's broken your pattern and that cycle of people pleasing. 
which is only going to benefit your business because your boundaries are going to be better and stronger. You'll feel valued for what you do support with other people and what you do offer. Amazing. Absolutely. God, I could talk to you for ages about your story, but I'm really conscious. I want to also learn about it. Bring it back to intuitive you. Yeah. (laughs) God, we'll have to catch up again on that. I know. Okay, so... Tell us then how you, so so you've met your husband and you Mm -hmm. were working through a lot of kind of uh, behavior changes and mindset changes and physical changes. And and then what, how did you get into intuitive eating? Yeah, so this is a really interesting part of the story, I feel, because right up until I was trying to get pregnant with Imogen, I was lifting heavy, like I was a really diehard CrossFitter. You know, I was tracking everything I ate still, like because I was such a serious athlete, I suppose. And it was only when I started trying to get pregnant with Imogen and I started seeing an acupuncturist and she was like, you need to listen to your body a bit. You know, you need to chill and relax and just eat what makes you feel good. And I was a bit resistant at first. And then I got pregnant and I developed hypermesis you know, really severe morning sickness. Of course you know. I bloody did. Crikey. Of course I did. Of course I did. The universe was Jesus. giving me all the gifts. Oh, God. <laughs> all the gifts. So I developed really severe morning sickness. And yeah, that was really, really t- challenging. And so I felt at that point that there was this real progression for me whereby my consciousness was trying to control what I was eating. Ridiculous. And I was still trying to drink green shakes and track what I was eating in my fitness pal and my body was just I was just being sick all the time and it was like I felt like my body was screaming at me listen to me yeah like for the first time in my life I could hear it and it was saying all I want you to eat is salt and vinegar squares red luster cheese and tang plastic sweets like (laughs) go and get them and I was like my my health like nutritionist brain was like no and, you know and, and my body was like yes you know all we want is salt protein and sugar please really easy to access you need to listen to us now because we know what we're doing and that was my first introduction into intuitive eating and it might sound like a bit of a mad one but for my whole pregnancy I just had to listen to my body wow. like completely listen again you were really forced isn't it like yeah. sometimes you can control so much but you honestly can't. You can't control. No. And and there's sometimes things bigger at play with with more force than we have. And oh yeah. Surrender to that. So what you did was surrender. Like yeah. a really big act of surrender for you, having spent twenty like 15, 20 years controlling what went mm. into your mouth and, yeah. and how you moved your body. Yeah. So that is an amazing, again, gift, but amazing act of surrender that you did. And you, you, you lent into that. So well done. Yeah. I've had, I've had multiple experiences of the universe teaching me this lesson of control because I had that. And then I had always had really strong and I'll get back to intuitive and after I've like, just kind of thrown these in there, but after a long time of really, really like wanting a home birth, I had placenta previa. So I had to have a cesarean section. And again, the universe is just like, you can want, you know, you can do this, but you know, the control, you have to surrender to your body. You have to do what your body wants. And then again, with Robin's birth, it was very similar situation. I tried to control every, I didn't have placenta previa. So I 
intensely tried to control the birth outcome and she still did what she wanted to do and I really felt again ah another gift I can try and control every single element of my life and still what will happen will happen and it will be what what is supposed to happen and every and I feel like Robin's birth was the the moment that it really clicked into place and I went ah yeah I need to just flow with this and just oh. allow and surrender to it so yeah but that was my introduction to intuitive eating I suppose amazing and you know just touching on that flow and surrender every single person I work with every single person I meet every single person listening to this that will resonate 100 yeah. percent will resonate and we, we get these lessons in different ways the sooner yeah. we can let go and surrender the easier life becomes yeah. Actually, the harder we grip, the more like almost the force to get through and penetrate our conscious mind has to be greater. And therefore, yeah. the damage has to be greater. The rock bottom has to be greater. If yeah. we actually just listened intuitively to our mind, our body, our soul, our true mm-hmm. selves, then life would just flow much better. So anyone listening to Absolutely. this, if you can take away one thing, <laughs> that, that might be it. OK, yeah. so you started to listen to your body. And then how did you discover the the modality or the, even the, the, the intuitive eating was a thing? Yeah, so I just kind of learned it on the job, if that makes sense. And then when I began practicing, I just wanted to help women to feel happier and healthier in their bodies. And I knew that it was definitely going to come from like habit change and and that kind of thing. I was very much always against diets, obviously, because I'd done them for so long. But when I came to working with them, there was just something missing. There was something more that needed to be done. And so I definitely started to kind of research and learn more about intuitive eating and how that works and how it kind of can change your relationship with eating. And I always say, if intuitive, if dieting wasn't a thing, intuitive eating would just be called eating like it's just (laughs) teaching people how to eat again but then equally I think the missing piece with intuitive eating is the mindset there's so much more mindset work that needs to be done which is why the way that I work is a little bit different because of my own experiences with my own healing I really understand that it's not, it was never just, I mean, obviously I've come through a different route of, of starting with an eating disorder that developed into dieting that developed, that then shifted into intuitive eating. And I know a lot of people just start with dieting and kind of just go on this long life cycle of yo-yoing and being, you know, yo-yo diet and restricting and binging. But I definitely realized when I started the work that for everybody, there's a deeper, there's a deeper reasoning behind why they started that dieting. And generally it's coming from very similar situations to myself, just the way that they felt about themselves from that very first get-go. I mean, they might have come to it just from what their friends were doing in school or, you know, the media being so, you know, prolific in the 90s and noughties with diet culture. But ultimately in my work, I have found that their mindset towards themselves is the biggest thing. And that the dieting has just been a level of trying to control their bodies, trying to control themselves, trying to control their emotions, trying to control themselves around food because they were leaning on food for emotional support. So they're just trying to control. And in reality, the 
I kind of am piecing together a lot of like foundational mindset stuff with intuitive eating as the icing on the cake, essentially, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have the same thing with every single one of my clients. It goes back to at some level, I'm not worthy or Mm -hmm. I'm not worthy of a particular thing, love or joy or happiness or money. And I'm not good enough. Yeah. And and when you have that from a very early age, and as we know, our beliefs are created very, very young. You know, if I'm not worthy of being listened to. Mm-hmm. I'm not worthy of expressing my emotions. I'm not yeah. worthy of feeling my emotions or I'm not. It's not safe to feel my emotions. It's not safe to be me. There are things that are created really early doors and, and everybody reacts differently to that belief. So you could have had a similar belief to those and it's taken you down the constrictive path yeah. with food and the control side of things for other people it could take them in a different direction yeah. but ultimately maybe all ending up in a place where they don't feel good about themselves in in how they look or how they feel in their body or in what they put into their body exactly yeah. and it is huge I've honestly never worked with somebody who has had a positive positive inner self-talk mm. prioritizes themselves doesn't feel guilty about prioritizing their own self-care and their own needs you know doesn't need that kind of sense of control feels comfortable in their emotions I've never you know feel in their emotions I've never worked with somebody who feels like that and is just by chance dieting at the same yeah. time it yeah. just doesn't coexist it yeah. doesn't coexist isn't that so you know good to to realize yeah to see like you're right you know love and fear are the opposite ends of a spectrum opposite ends yeah. of the scale and when you're in fear and lack and 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 separation from love, that's when you're going to be wanting to self-soothe. Exactly. And, and that will lead you down that path. And it could lead people to the alcohol or the drugs or, you know, excessive uh, exercise, etc. But when you love yourself, everything is completely opposite. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the goal. And I know people get really afraid to talk about self-love, like it's some like foo-foo or woo, not woo-woo, but more like, Oh, it's so... It's like self-indulgent almost. Yeah, yeah, that's the word, yeah. But actually, it is the fundamental core of life. Like, it is the root behind all of our ailments, physical, mental, emotional. And what do we want for our kids? We want them to love themselves. Yeah, we're not doing it. So, yeah, I I think the way you're combining the eating and the mindset, I think, is gold. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. It needs to be done because otherwise it just doesn't stick. It's like sticking, like, and I always talk about, because part of my program is, I call it the, my intrinsic motivation method, which is essentially around creating a really strong sense of self-worth. Because if you've got a strong sense of self-worth, ultimately you are going to act from a place of self-love and, and being kind to yourself and talking kindly to yourself. And so you can then build everything then comes from this like really deep desire to look after yourself, whatever that might be. That might be having a pizza on a Friday night Mm -hmm. with your partner or with some friends and feeling really joyful in that experience. Or it might be saying, do you know what? I don't this this food makes me feel really unwell after it or I don't want to feel like that because I want to feel like this. So I'm not going to have that right now because I want to feel X for the rest of the day. It can look like so many different things, but it's just about having that really strong foundational sense of self-worth, which is ultimately what the first stage of my work is always about. 
it's all about building that sense of self-compassion and self-worth so that you can then feel that then it fixes itself because you fix yourself when you've got that because you ultimately are allowing yourself to feel your emotions you're prioritizing yourself you're putting yourself first you're doing some self-care you're seeking joy and when you're doing all of that food just kind of falls by the wayside in that emotional um in the fact that it's an emotion being an emotional crutch because you don't need it anymore because you're doing all of the things that actually make you feel good and the question mark over should I should I not eat that disintegrates as well because you are feeling that really strong sense of like I really want to eat nourishing foods but I equally recognize that eating foods that aren't necessarily you know crammed full of vitamins and minerals can be really good for me as well in a soul led from a soul place like you know connection with people or just the fact that a certain food might bring you joy in a certain situation Mm -hmm. like it all just falls falls away because you start listening to yourself and honoring yourself because you have a strong sense of self-worth and so if you try and stick anything else on it a diet intuitive eating on its own it just it's just trying to like decorate a crumbly house as you know Anna <laughs> talks about it it's just it's not being built from a strong foundation. place yeah. and strong foundation and so it will it won't stick long term you have to change the foundations otherwise nothing will work from a in a sustainable way yeah I so so get that where would people start then so obviously these two things really need to go together yeah and so talk me through how how it works for your for a client so they could they come to you what happens how do you how do you coach them through yeah this program yeah so a lot of clients come to me I mean I have a lot of mums who come to me I do have a lot of you know single women or women who don't have children come to me you know but a lot of the mums come to me and they're like I need to get I need to get better for my kids and so that's a really strong forceful desire in their minds when they first come to me and so I always really want to respect that when they get get to work with me because I and so therefore I really want to get on top of these like the eating habits that they feel that they're displaying to their children that are ne- that are quite unhelpful and they might have noted down that their children are actually starting to exhibit the same behaviors so the first kind of place that I start is actually really working to get on top of their binges and their binge behaviors just so that they can then do the more foundational work so that they can focus on themselves a bit because the binge behaviors or the emotional eating behaviors are actually overtaking their mind and their body they just feel so consumed by it because it's such a strong forceful urge that you cannot you can't just ignore it you can't just not do it because it just feels so strong in your body so I really work on them very very from the start very much from the start on binge prevention and how they can really like get into their bodies and feel this sensation and not use their brains to like you outthink their bodies that they've got to like actually get into their bodies and use their bodies to help them navigate the binge urges so I really that's kind of the first place that I take them to and then when I kind of work on a three-phase approach so we do heal then we do learn and then we do progression so the first phase is literally all about them diving into their own past like this isn't me being a therapist I'm coaching them to do what they need to do so I'm telling them to dive into their own past like see what see what happened there that caused you to maybe feel like you weren't worthy that what you said didn't matter that 
you know, you weren't seen, you weren't heard or comments that were made about you, your body or whatever it might have been that have caused you to not feel like a priority in your own life. And then we work on building a really strong sense of self-compassion and a positive inner voice and just letting themselves off the hook, moving away from this all or nothing mindset that our society like really, really strongly drives forward, doesn't it? You've got to be all this or or, or you're not, you know, you've got to be achieving mm. or you're failing. And so it's I really work on that. Like, it's the masculine. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so masculine. Well, like when I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking, gosh, you really are bringing the mind, body and soul aspect together. Yeah. You know, the listening to yourself, the intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the feminine. So yeah. you kind of, without using these terms potentially with clients, you're balancing everything in their yeah. their system, their energy system. So the yeah. masculine might, the voice, the masculine voice might come down. The feminine voice might have more weight yeah. than before. And and getting back to the, the true self. Mm-hmm. That resonate yeah, I you? really, really, absolutely. That is exactly what I'm doing. I'm giving people, the women that I work with, the permission to allow their feminine to, to come forward and to be mm. a stronger player in, in their body and in their mind. Because ultimately, they've been really shutting that down. You know, a client asked me the other day, okay, so what in terms of habits, like, how do I not be guilty if I don't do them, you know, every day? I was like, we just shift it to an intention. Do you want to do that habit? Like, is that something you really want to do? Okay, recognize that that's something you you really want to do, not because you've been told Mm. that that's good for you. Something that you recognize when I drink, you know, two liters of water a day, I feel more energized, my sleep is better my I feel calm at my digestion like that's how you feel and it's about giving yourself permission to really get into your body and recognize that it is about you it's not about some article on the news that's told you that you should be doing that it's Mm -hmm. a want you know and it's shifting away from should and need to want and will and can and feeling that real sense of like ownership around your intentions rather than a habit that's slapped onto you you know something you feel like you should be doing and it's just about shifting those approaches to being much more intuitive and being like, do you know what? Today I haven't done that that intention, but it's fine because I've been doing other things, because I've prioritized other things, and that is okay too. And they are equally good for my health. And I've chosen to prioritize them from a really good place. And it's just so much more free and flowing and easy mm. and less oppressive. And it's coming from a place of again, it's coming from self-love, not self-loathing. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what I'm helping to people to balance out this just feeling of, as you said, the masculine and the feminine, but just giving themselves permission to not have to do it all, be it all, have it all in control, like tick every box every day, that they can just feel much more natural and at ease with themselves. Yeah, it's amazing. It sounds fantastic. And what are the what are the benefits from moving through this kind of level of program? So what what do you hear on the other side? What are what is yeah. life like? on the other side of this yeah so it is always amazing you know my testimonials always generally start with wow this changed this has changed my entire life because one client actually put it really well and a visual would be that you know she kind of held her hands up with it clenched and as the food and then said you know I thought we were going to be working on this like as in the food but actually and then she like moved her hand around the around her hand and was like you know and then we worked on all of this and it fixed the food. And I was like, yeah. yes. And that is that is the point that we are fixing everything. We're, we're, we're allowing you to be really aware of 
the way that you react in situations, the way that you're talking to yourself, the way that you prioritize yourself, whether you're actually allowing yourself any joy in your life. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it feeds into all aspects of your life, relationships, boundaries, you know, how you feel about yourself as a partner or a mother or a friend. And when you're doing all of that, that has a huge impact in just the way that you feel about yourself and about how much you're enjoying your day-to-day life and your kind of how volatile your emotions are. And, you know, and then that just impacts the food. And so on the other side of this work, people aren't, they're not just relying on food for emotional comfort. They're they're, they're giving themselves time to, to do self-care. They're not thinking about food all the time, which is something that people come to me and they are like I am exhausted Mm. from thinking about food all the time and thinking about my body all the time and instead they're thinking about other things they're starting businesses they're going you know to and doing things that they have really like a a new hobby you know I've had people doing choirs and amdram groups and going to running clubs after not even wanting to exercise their body because and you and move because they they hate their body and they feel comfortable in it to to run in twice a week as part of a running club and wow it's just a really impactful the I think the really big shift is that they see their health in a completely different way yeah you know that's it isn't it it's about health not about how our body looks exactly yeah exactly and that's setting ourselves up for a healthier future obviously as we Mm -hmm. move into you know menopause and and beyond we might be stronger in our bodies or know how to I suppose as well, it's like we're not doing this for just now. We're doing this for the next 30, 40 years of our lives where things can get tougher around food or we need and listening to our bodies like, you know, we might need less food as we get older and and rather than sticking to something that is, you know, what we've been told to do. Mm -hmm. It really is changing years and decades worth of conditioning, isn't it? Which is hard that that like beginning work that you do with people must be hard. hard to get through. What's the biggest resistance that you notice with with clients? I feel like there's there's two kind there's the main one is that they feel like a failure. They feel because ultimately they've come from I suppose it's not so I suppose it's the same thing. It's it's the self-belief that they can make a change. Because if you've done years and years of dieting, if you've focused on your body changing for 30 years, you know, mm. I've worked with people who are 30, 33, 34 years deep into yo-yo dieting and whose parents and grandparents, grandmothers are still doing it, like 84 and still going to Weight Watchers classes. Oh my God. You know, still trying to lose those last 10 pounds. Like, I think it's really recognizing that this cycle, unless you choose to get off it, it just, it becomes a lifestyle. It's how your brain functions. Your brain just is like, are we losing weight at the moment? Like, is this how we're thinking about food at the moment? you know, it doesn't just end. We have to really focus on it ending and, and shifting our mindset. But yeah, that sense of failure after many years of trying and then seemingly feeling like you've failed really ingrains as part of your identity. And so they really, it's about that sense of self-belief at the start that they can actually make this change. That's a really big, a big barrier for people because they don't have that sense of self-belief. And then the other the other thing is the, the the barrier, I suppose, for myself as a coach and them is is the all or nothing mindset. Um again, because because we've been 
conditioned to see health as kale salads and acai berry smoothies and doing certain things every single day. And that's what diet culture really perpetuates that this like same day. You know, this is how many sins you're allowed. This is how many points you're allowed. This is how many calories you're allowed. This is how many macros you're allowed. This is all of the things that you should be doing each day, drinking X amount of water, exercise, or whatever it is, that it makes you feel like if you haven't ticked all of those boxes, that you've you've just failed. You haven't done it. You're not succeeding. When I'm, not like that, I'm not good I'm enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Perpetuating. Perpetuating. I'm not good enough. And so it really can hit people when they're like, oh, I didn't, you know, I've, I've gone back and had a binge or I ate some chocolate mindlessly in the car or I didn't meditate today. And it's like, that's fine. We, mm. everybody does that. That's so normal. It's so normal to, to have moments where you mindlessly eat. I don't eat mindfully every single time I eat, mm. you know, and there's not, it's not every single day that I hit my two liters of water a day or go for, a, you yeah. know, do you know what I mean? That's not a normal way of living your life to, yeah. to tick X amount of boxes. Again, it's masculine to tick all yeah. of these boxes and succeed every single day that's not normal and that's not how we should be aiming to live our human existence we should be very again free-flowing and easy and listening to our bodies and acknowledging that rest is just as beneficial as a walk on different days yeah and so that can be a barrier for people because they're like am I doing it right am I am I doing this work right and I'm like there is there is no right right. like there is no right this is about you and this is about what feels right for you but that's the power of that conditioning. You know, you've spent 20, 30 years in in something where you have been, ex- so it's external validation all the time. And I'm sure they're mm-hmm. looking to you for that external validation, but you are then trying to push it back to them. Yeah. And that comes back to not feeling good enough, not getting the unconditional love they needed as a child. Exactly. Right? It all comes back to that. Yeah. It all comes Amazing. back to that. And so it is about teaching them to give their inner child and themselves that, that validation and that reassurance and that permission to not yeah yeah. one thing that I wrote down there was I often get the belief with when I'm working with somebody subconscious is that it's not safe to change Mm. because it hasn't been safe to change in their childhood and in school and stuff like that or safe to yeah to shift gear and decide to change to go to a new career or try a new club or whatever it is so when you when I Often I work with people, I have this kind of technique where I do reprogram the subconscious. We must talk about this offline because I think you'd like yes. it. But. Yeah. And often I try to get them to change a belief and it, it and it won't change. And mm. I say, okay, subcon- I ask, get them to ask themselves, subconscious, I am, am I running the narrative? It's not safe to change. And I'm nearly always get a yes. And so we work to clear and change that narrative. So it is safe to change. And then once that narrative is changed, it's like, oh, it's a domino effect. Then the subconscious will change the beliefs. Yeah. Yes. It's incredible. That is incredible. And it it really does actually resonate so much with me because it is definitely something that I come up against with, Mm. come up with, with my clients that this fear, and it's something that I ask them, like, what would be the fear? What's the fear around feeling this this being this way or letting go of your body ideals like what's the fear there and it is something that I'm really conscious of of kind of helping them to see that their brain their brain their subconscious their body is always just trying to keep them safe like that's that's something that I'm always trying to help them see 
even with the emotional eating, like it's trying to keep you safe. It's a, it's a, it's a red flag from the body. It's yeah. just your body trying to cope. And so, yeah, absolutely. You know, it is even, definitely about safety. Yeah. Even could come back to big women don't get abused or, yeah. you know, you know, it's, it's, and that's, isn't that just incredible? So subconscious deep somewhere within us, we've created a narrative that is forcing us through doing things we naturally don't want to do, but because of that safety and the fear of, of getting hurt, that yeah. we will push ourselves down that road. Absolutely. Absolutely. We really, really do. And I've had so many clients who've had very similar experiences in the sense that they've, because of our, the society that we live in that is very much fat phobic and has that narrative that they will, you know, I've had clients who have, have binge ate subconsciously because, you know, they've felt too attractive and that people won't like them yeah. or they've been an abusive, they've been in an abusive relationship and therefore need to protect themselves against somebody else finding them attractive because of the, the, the messaging that we get that thin is beautiful and, and, and fat is not, which is just absurd. And it's yeah. just, it's so perpetuated and it's so out there. And again, it is a safety thing again for that because of our society, you know, of course people want to be, be thin or slim because they're scared of, of what life would look like if they weren't because yeah. of the society we live in and the way that we're treating people who don't fit I hate I hate it that yeah. that ideal beauty standard it's not fair on on humans no. to be treating us in that way and all this is is a system built to get money off our lack of self-worth like we 100%. are pawns and basically have been mind controlled since a very very young age that's what it is you're yeah. helping people break out of mind control when if yeah. you really say it for what it is. Yeah, that is exactly what it is. And yeah. I always talk to clients who have, which is essentially why I created the group, my group program, because I wanted people to feel supported and they weren't alone. Because something that one-to-one -one clients have said to me over the years is that I feel so isolated. I feel so on my own. All of my other friends are still dieting. All of my other friends or family are still talking about their body and trying to lose this weight and stuff like that and I have to kind of say to them okay well this is going to sound a little bit mean but you've got to imagine that they're all kind of still in the brainwashed state <laughs> and that you've just kind of like woken up exactly. and can see it for what it actually is see the reality that is there see the deeper conditioning that they have all been um subjected to and you have you have broken out of that and it's safe to break out of that you know, it doesn't say anything about you or who you are, or if you think you're better than other people. It's just that you've got the the awareness now that you don't need to live in that, you know, state of kind of being subjected to that brainwashing that we've all experienced. Yeah. And, and that really allows them to kind of feel like, oh, right, okay, that makes sense now. But equally still feel sorry for their loved ones who are still locked in there. Yeah, and, you know, I have that with, with my clients and the women in my... um tapping into motherhood membership you know we're we're on a spiritual journey there and people have joined because they have not been able to share how they truly feel about what they're learning about themselves what they're learning about the world and energy and the self-help stuff and the self-love piece and they've no one to talk to about that and and I talked about it the other day it's like we're all in our own lane Mm -hmm. You know, we're all driving down the road, we're all in our own lane and we all have our own bumps and curves and highs and lows and 
you know, each of us are learning different things at different points and stages of the journey. And sometimes we are accelerating on that road a little bit more than maybe our family members or our friends. And we've got to accept that. We've got to accept that they're on their path at their pace and we can't force them or push them or rush them. And equally, the people we could meet on our accelerated journey might, you know, might open a whole world of opportunity and joy to us. So yeah. to be open to both. And I suppose we're, we're saying the same thing, but yours is talking a bit more about kind of the body and connection, body connection, and mine's yeah. maybe a bit more soul connection. Yeah. But it's yeah. the same kind of thing. It is definitely the same kind of thing. And I think that's something that I've had to learn over the years. Again, mm-hmm. coming from a control perspective of <laughs> with my own development, I've definitely wanted to bring people along with me and probably went in a few a few years ago being not forceful but being really overly sharing like come on you know you can do this and this will help you with that and realize that you know I'm not responsible for everybody's journey that I'm responsible for mine and equally that's been really positive with me having like better boundaries with clients because mm. even when I started this work I really wanted them to check in with me all the time because again it was control and I felt like I needed to control their path and their journey within my work and actually now clients don't need to reach out to me and that's a really good thing because they're on their own journey themselves yeah they're doing it themselves and if they do then it's then it's a really poignant moment for them that they just need a little bit of clarity for Mm. but actually it's a really good thing that they are in their lane and they feel empowered to be in their lane and and know that their journey looks like their journey and and the support is there if and when they, they absolutely need it. Yeah, and the support amazing. is a hundred percent there. Like amazing. I always am sharing that, you know, know that I am here mm. all the time for you, but they feel really they can feel re- they can again feel really empowered in knowing that their journey is their own. But yeah, I definitely think I have struggled I struggled with that kind of people being at different points in their journey. And now I feel a lot more at peace with that. Yeah, I did too. And I had to, I had to learn. And I had, you know, after I did my EFT training, I was like, I want to fix everyone. I yeah. want a tool. I can help people, you know, work with me. And then I realized not everyone wants to be fixed or healed or yeah. not everyone yeah. wants to progress or evolve as quickly as I personally do. And, yeah. you know, sometimes I'm impatient with my own. We need to let go of things. I'm yeah. just like, I just want to move through it and move on to the yeah. next thing. I know. And, and sometimes I have to slow myself down to actually, you know, feel more mm-hmm. in the moment rather than just yeah. trying to move through it. Absolutely. But I feel, I feel that the work that you're doing is so important and God, I can even see you going into schools. I can see yeah. you doing school programs teaching and working with teenagers I mean how I'm not you know mindset for young young children young young girls is so important and that can you imagine getting them early you know on this journey so yeah I think you're doing amazing so tell me a little bit your group program so how do how would people work with you have they a choice about group or one-to-one or how does it work so they do have a choice group or one-to-one I do have very limited one-to-one spaces and I am really encouraging people I mean it's obviously really impactful and empowering to work in either capacity but actually I'm loving the group setting so much yeah because and I'm sure you find that as well with your membership the the support there is just incredible and it's been so refreshing for a lot of them to one thing that the majority of them shared with me and actually one of the ladies got quite emotional because she was just like, oh my goodness, I'm not on my own in the way that I feel and think. 
And what an incredible thing to do alongside other women who are wanting to move forward in their in this healing journey and wanting to kind of become awakened to how they can progress and the group. So yeah, they can work with me basically in a group program or one-to-one. But as I say, one-to-one spaces are very limited at the moment. So yeah, it's a really, honestly, it's always impactful work. And I just love watching people mm. shift and get those moments, those light bulb moments are just incredible when people mm. see that. And and then once they've kind of had that moment of like, you know, cliche word, awakening, <laughs> they can't you can't step back from that because no. you've got it. It's gained. You can't see the light, the the world's different. Like your the world is different then. has blown. Yeah. Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. Yeah. So how can people reach out to me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So basically I'm just on Instagram at the moment, website and all and and Facebook, of course, website pending. But yeah, Instagram is my little home place. That's where I kind of spend most of my time. I do also obviously have Facebook. So I'm at at love, L-U-V dot health. So kind of love spelt in the 70s way. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. (laughs) So Amazing. yeah, you can just reach out to me on there. Um, I have a free resource for everybody. If you know, if you're kind of at the stage where you're like, how is dieting not like what they're kind of on the cusp where they're like, mm. Mm, is dieting working for me? Is it not working for me? What could life look like without? I have a free resource for people if they're at that stage. And then yeah, I just generally have a lovely free chat with people to talk to them about where they're currently at, how I could help them. And then yeah, they can just jump in. I'm not like probably similar to yourself Sarah it's not like a people work with me for x amount of weeks and then they have to or somebody signs up now they have to wait until that group are finished if you're ready you can you know come in pretty much straight away which is which is what I've always wanted to offer which I couldn't do with my one-to-ones because I was always so booked up in advance I didn't like that people had to wait when they were ready so that's why I created this group setting brilliant it's just awesome and I wish you so much success in the coming well 2022 the year of destiny this is your destiny yeah uh take it by the horns and yeah I can't wait for people to hear this conversation and I hope that this lands for people in the right way to know that change is possible that restriction is not required and joy Mm. is the ultimate goal of life absolutely totally agree totally agree thank you so much for your time thank you so much Sarah it's been so nice to chat with you Thank you so much for your time today and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please like, subscribe and maybe leave a review too. I work with women all over the world, helping them to leave the trauma of the past behind, let go of limiting beliefs, step into their power and create the futures that they desire. To find out more about me, visit my website, tappingformums.com. You can work with me one-to-one you could join my Tapping Into Motherhood membership and community. Or you can tap along with me for free on YouTube. Just search Tapping for Mums. Hope to see you next time and have a wonderful day.